Okay, I'm going to quote a song. I won't sing it and torment you, but I'm going to quote one. Chris may remember who this is. He says, I have these moments all steady and strong. I'm feeling so holy and humble. The next thing I know, I'm all worried and weak, and I feel myself starting to crumble. The meanings get lost, and the teachings get tossed, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. But I wait for the sun. It never quite comes. Then some kind of message comes through to me. Some kind of message comes through. And it says to you, love when you can. Cry when you have to. Be who you must. That's a part of the plan. That's Dan Fogelberg. That was a song before Christ was in my heart when I was out there trying to find what I was on this earth for. And it was songs like that that let me know I wasn't nuts. <laughs> you know, because some people look like they live their lives like this. Even when they're going through stuff, they live their life like that. I'm thinking, oh my. And mine looked like this wild ro roller coaster ride. Sometimes I wore a seatbelt and other times I didn't. I just stood up. But words have always had the ability to soothe me, to correct me, to help me. And it's the word himself. When I finally realized it's because Jesus is the word. <laughs> and so some get it through music. I get it through words. Now I'm going to talk about a lifelong issue I've had. Thing is, I see it in the church too, and we don't talk about it. And um, before I do that, I want to read a list. I'm shaky, excuse me. I want to read a list of some famous songwriters and musicians and singers. John Bon Jovi, Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, Ray Charles, Alicia Keys, Beyonce, Mozart. Some writers and poets and playwrights, Agatha Christie, Ernest Hemingway, Herman Melville, Leo Tolstoy, Mark Twain, Walt Whitman, Oscar Wilde. Actors, actresses, comedians. Drew Carey, Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, Robin Williams. Buzz Aldrin, astronaut. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister, Diana, Princess of Wales, Abraham Lincoln, President, Michelangelo, Painter, Vincent Van Gogh, Artist, T-Bone Pickett Jr., Oil Tycoon, Isaac Newton, Physicist, John D. Rockefeller, Millionaire Industrialist. They all had the same thing that I deal with, depression. Some of you may never have had it. You don't know what it is, but I think all of us do go through low times. It's just how this earth is. But ever since I've been little, I have suffered from this, and I didn't know what it was until I was in my 20s, and I started, um, when I really gave my heart to the Lord and started inquiring, and then I realized this is something I have to deal with. But would you not agree I'm in pretty good company? Uh -huh. And see, the thing is, most people, um, and especially real talented, gifted ones like musicians and artists and all these others, they do their best work, they're their best selves when they go through these periods where they just are struggling to get understanding or to express themselves, like the words that I just uh, read to you from Dan Fogelbert or spoke. So... I said, when Lucas asked me, he said, Mom, would you just 
speak a little bit on depression, I thought, oh my gosh, who wants to hear anybody speak about depression? You know, it's not like on the list of anybody going to church. Oh, Lisa, let's go. She's going to talk about depression today. <laughs> no. But I said, okay. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? So I looked up those, I Googled in famous people that have depression. And I read those names. Then I put in famous Christians that have depression. No lists. I had to like go to like 20 different sites to get like eight different names. I'm like, what the heck's up with this? And then it hit me. That's where the problem lies. The world has it better than we do. They embrace it, talk about it, walk through it, and Christians hide it. I did for a long time. I don't even really publicly speak about it because it's a personal thing with me. But we, when I did try, sometimes I've heard, well, it's a sin. Just deal with it. You hear all these different things that think you can just take a pill. All of these things. And um, I thought, Lord, there's really a problem. And there has been because I've had to walk hand in hand with him on this because, you know, Sometimes I'll get it in a Christian song, but where's the Christian musicians and writers and actors and physicists and all these? Where are they and why are they not telling people about what they're going through? We need it. I need it. Don't you? Yes. And so I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to share a little bit. Some of the famous ones were Martin Luther, reformer, Charles Spurgeon, prince of preachers and revivalists. Do you know in his, he was one of the most profound Christians ever on this earth. And do you know two and three months out of the year, he left the pulpit because of depression. But he got some of his best stuff. Charles Spurgeon, Rick Warren, his son had it very bad. His son committed suicide last year. Mother Teresa, John Knox, a key figure in the formation of modern Scotland, John Bunyan, writer, Pilgrim's Progress, C.S. Lewis, Sheila Walsh. Do you see in all of that list what I found? Only a handful of them are even still breathing. And so I'm praying that God will start bringing us out and people will start writing music about it and writing books about it and talking about it and praying about it in our Christian myths because it's needed and you don't have to be ashamed of it. Now, a thousand Christians were surveyed, 79% confided that they had at some point or at present were suffering from depression. One surveyor wrote, it seemed like life was more of a punishment than a blessing. And listen, guys, men and women get this. This is, you saw that from the list. This is just not a woman's thing. Um, Okay, I'm going to just talk a little bit about myself, which is hard because I've never shared this part. Um, my childhood was challenging. Um, I now realize in it that both on my mother and father's side, depression was there. 
Back then in the uh, 50s and 60s, they would, well, we call it the Oaks now, but they had sanitariums that you would go to. Some of you older folks know what I'm talking about, and that wasn't just for TB. Sanitariums were, were, is where you would go when you had breakdowns or massive depressions. And I didn't know any of this stuff going up, and I couldn't put two and two together, but in both my mother and father's side, and my mother twice was in, my, uh, in a sanitarium, and my grandma... And um, as I got older, um, I started seeing things. The, the, I think what kept me sane, if you really want to know the truth, one of the things that kept me sane was when I was in first grade, I learned to read. And in reading, I then jumped within a couple months from a first grade reading level into the third, fourth. I just, because reading was my medicine. Reading, when I read Laura Ingle Wilder and, and uh, Nancy Drew stories and Wind in the Willows, and I did it, I went into all of that. And in my childhood, I was safe with my books. And that's when I started talking to myself. And when I say that, my gifting, I would preach in my head and teach in my head. And I would think, well, this one, I would see different things. And I think, and I could just preach it, I teach it, I could tell them. And it's because of books. So I just thank God that he taught me to read and I love to read to this day. And then songs came into it when I got into my teen years. A lot of them, you'll hear Chris and some of these guys and they, they talk about, I don't know, Leonard Skinner, Boston, all these guys, and <laughs> the stairway to heaven. And, but the, the ones that got me were Jackson Brown, Dan Fogelberg, Gordon Lightfoot, the ones that had a story to tell that were telling it through music. And so I somehow managed to stay sane. In all of that, we went, um, when my mom was in one of the sanitariums, we were in a children's home for almost five years until she could get herself together. I have never been exposed to church. My family's never gone to church on either side. But when we were in the children's home, once a week, we would have to walk down the street to a Methodist church because that's who sponsored the children's home. And when I did, I had a, um, um, that's where we would go in for a little children's church and they had a little Bible lesson and craft and all of that stuff. That's the most of anything I was exposed to in my whole childhood for that four and a half, almost five years. So I grew up and I started wandering and I started doing, I've actually had a really fun life. I've done stuff like work on oil rigs and rode my motorcycles through the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And I mean, I've gone to a lot of, I've had a pretty good life, pretty adventuresome. But when I had Lucas, it was me and him. And I thought this wasn't part of the plan. I was never supposed to get married. I was never supposed to have any children because it's rough enough being me without having to do it with other ones. But I had Lucas and the Lord used Lucas and his birth to get me into the kingdom of God, which is where I am today. And now look at him. I rest my case. <laughs> God is good. When I did. I would cry out all the time. I would say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you know, I can't do this. Uh, and you can't talk to anybody. The pastors would give you a, a little blurb or they'd say, do this or that, and nothing worked. So I had to do it on my own. 
you guys, not on my own because God was with me. His Holy Spirit was with me. And I've never been alone ever since I've come to Christ. I have never been alone. (sighs) He understands it all. And I thank him for that. So I learned through just reading his word. These are some of the things, and I want to encourage anybody that's going through. I can't give you three steps and a promise, but I can say it's biblical. If you're dealing with low spots, and guys, this could be just discontent. I I wrote a definition. Let me just read that definition of depression. Persistent low mood accompanied with low self-esteem. Loss of interest or pleasure in normal activities. Irritation, frustration, anger, discontent, sadness, discouragement, self-loathing, emotions that get out of control. Can anybody relate? Yes. So, uh, and there's a lot of natural things you could do. I think one day I would like to, in the future, just even do a class on some of the things you can do, like fresh air and exercise. Watch the food you're eating. I mean, go out and take a walk in nature. Swim at the beach. There's so many things you can do. And uh, Moses is a good example. Moses used to take his tent and pinch it, pitch it outside the camp. He'd go outside the camp of familiarity, and he'd get out there, and he'd... Meet with God. Well, that's what we need to do, too. There's so many things. But the ones that helped me the most was reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. I do it every day. And um, I do it every day, and I drink a cup of coffee, and I pray uh, every morning for about an hour, and I've done this all my adult life. The boys could never understand mom's in there drinking her coffee you get yes and if I don't you'll regret it (laughs) so coffee and I the Bible and prayer got to be really really good friends and I would read the Bible stories and there would be the Bible story like of Jonah I can relate to Jonah Jonah fought depression and Jonah at one point he found himself inside they call it a big fish we call it a whale I don't know something might be out there we've never even discovered yet but he was in something and he came to himself and it says he he prayed to the Lord Jonah chapter 2 and and really literally means he gave thanksgiving and praise he stood up that what that means I found out is he stood up in the middle of that whale raised up up both his hands and started praising and thanking the Lord. Said he had seaweed all around his head. Can you imagine the smell? And I did. I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, Jonah was there. And look what he did. He started praising and giving thanks. And so I started doing that. And it helped. Being thankful helps. It really does. So all of these things I started doing, I started um, uh Thanksgiving, singing, gathering, that's one thing I've learned. When you're in these type of things, don't stay on your own too long. Don't stay in your house. Don't just go to work. You have to be around people. And one of the reasons God says not to forsake the gathering together, we're not perfect in our gatherings, but we all need each other. We need our weaknesses and strength. We need to gather together, do what we're doing here today. Sing, praise, thank God, pray for one another, encourage each other, and then go 
through the week. We need it. And when you're going through a low point, really make sure you're gathering together with like-minded people that will lift you up. So I've done all of these things over the years. And then what happened about two years ago, and I've been good. Sometimes I think, you know, poor John, my husband, or did I break my boys? <laughs> but honestly, John has learned me. And John is we're f one of the best friends I have. He gets me. And my boys, they turned out all right. Now, they still fuss at me sometimes, and they tend to remember, why do people remember the negative instead of the positive? Oh, oy vey, says the Jewish mother. Oy vey. <laughs> Actually, there's a study that's been shown, just so you don't feel lost and alone parents in this, that uh, on a brain, there's a po portion of the brain that, uh, with the emotions that remembers good and remembers bad. And guess what? The one that remembers bad is bigger and stronger than the one that remembers good. Talk about taking over and control of this. We're already working with a natural deficit. But God says, think on these things. And he starts talking about, think on these things that are good and of a good report and wonderful. And you have to train your mind. So my boys did turn out all right. But what had happened was, in all my comings and going and all my exploits that I've done, about two years ago, I started finding myself going down a slope. And I did everything I know to do. I got prayer. I mean, I told, there's a handful in here I told, this is what I'm dealing with. Pray for me. My family knew about it. And I couldn't shake it. It started by me getting a really bad virus. It was one of those viruses that was going around. And it took the longest time to leave. And then in that, I had found a tick on me. It was on my leg, and I just picked the tick off, and I didn't think anything of it. And it, months went on, and I was fatigued all the time. I couldn't hardly some days put one foot in front of the other. It, it got hard. And I said, John, I don't know. Something's wrong here. I've, I've got to go to the doctors. So after months, I went to the doctors, and I told her everything. And she took a bunch of blood tests. And she called me a week later, and she said, Lisa, she said, you've got Lyme's disease. I went, oh, man. And I've talked to Cain, and he's told me about his friend that had that, didn't catch it in time. That stuff's nasty. So I immediately started getting the massive doses of the antibiotics and did all of that. And um, I had tests done again, and it was gone. But, guys, I still couldn't get rid of the ache in the slump. And I thought, what is the matter with me? Now, I'd known that menopause had started coming on me. It had been sort of sneaking up on me over the last couple of years. But I just, I thought, what is happening? So I prayed and I said, God, I'm going to go to the doctors and I'm going to ask that you use that doctor to give me wisdom on what is going on here because I've tried everything and I can't snap out of it. And I prayed and I prayed. And um, at this time there was people like Kathy and Keisha and Catherine. They knew what I was going through, Devin. And um, they prayed me right through this. And when I went to the doctors and I told her everything that I was still dealing with, she got real quiet and she said, Lisa, I'm going to tell you something and you may not want to hear it. 
And I said, what? She said, you have depression. She said, there was a moment of vulnerability in your life with the virus and the tick and the menopause in your body and your brain said, the chemical imbalance, that's what it is in my family. It's a chemical imbalance. You can't do this anymore. You've shut down. She said, I want to put you on something. It's not permanent. I want to give you some antidepressants, and I want this to help you. And I sat there and burst out crying because I've never had to take them. I never wanted to take them. And then the Lord spoke, and he said, you asked me in prayer. And so I looked at her, and I said, Doctor, I'm a Christian. This has been very, very hard for me, and I prayed that he give you wisdom on what was going on, and I'm going to believe that what you said is the truth. And she looked at me, and she said, Lisa, don't you know that I don't go home some nights, two, three in the morning, and I'm laying there, and I'm saying, God, I'll go over every one of my patients. Don't don't you think I don't have that responsibility? And she says, Lisa, I'm telling you, this this is what I think it is. So I said, okay. So... She said, you may have to take them up to six months. And I said, all right. So I started taking antidepressants. And guess what, folks? (laughs) In about two to three weeks, I started getting normal. Depression does hurt. It really does. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't hurt no more. This is feeling pretty good. And I thought, okay, this is good. And I kept on them and kept on them until, and Kyle, where are you, Kyle? Until I told Kyle to one day. I said, you know, Kyle, when I knew it was time to come off? And he said, well, I said, for a week, I could play dire straits in my head. I could do the guitar solo if I got it from Tim. <laughs> it was, it was, I thought, oh my God. And I went to her and I told her what I was dealing with. And she laughed. She said, well, Lisa, it's only been three months. That's the quickest I've ever seen. But she said, I don't believe you have to take those anymore. Thank you, I ended up in Antarctica. But anyway, when I told my young, it was easier for me to talk to some of my young friends in their 30s and 20s than it was for me, my older ones. And when I told my friend Jamie in Florida what I was going through, she understood, she encouraged me. And when I told her about the meds and about dire straits, she sent me these tissues in the mail. If you're happy and you know it, share your meds. So that's what's happened. And the thing is, it didn't, it didn't stop there because I had a trip uh, I made to Guatemala this past winter, and uh, my hip had been hurting me. That's another thing that had just been nagging on me. And they had diagnosed bursitis. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm too young for this kind of stuff, I think. Anyway, um, I went to Guatemala, and in all of that, I found myself in one um, – Uh, One day, we were in a a, a maximum security prison, and there was men over here and the women in over these buildings, and we help minister with a group that when the babies have... um, uh, are born in prison, they can stay in prison if they don't have a family to take them until they're four years old and then they're put out. And if nobody in the community takes them, the state takes them into an orphanage and they're raised till they're 18. So we were helping uh, establish this nursery in the prison and um, my hip was hurting. And I thought, oh, man. And I decided when I had to check off the little thing, I'm going to go to um, the coffee plantation trip because if I go ziplining, they're going to send me home in a body bag. 
So I thought, all right. And I was trying to be cautious and do all of that. And we were getting ready to leave the prison. And there was a room that was separate. And there was music coming out of that room. And there was joy coming out of that room. And I said to someone with me, what is that? And she said, they have to worship separate from the others because of the gang violence that's going down. And she said, we have to keep them separate because the other what they'll fight and I mean they'll fight to the death I saw one lady that had a scar from here down to her where she'd been razor cut and boxed I mean it was rough but when she looked in her baby's eyes oh my god you didn't even see the scar she loved that baby but anyway I heard this music and I said I'll catch up with you and I went over to the door and I looked in and they were worshiping God and it was so wonderful and I thought oh I wish my hip didn't hurt. And I looked over at Shirley, my friend that's standing there, and she goes, do it, Lisa. I went, really, Shirley? She goes, yeah, do it. So I stepped in there. <laughs> and that's all she wrote. I haven't praised God like that, and I don't know how long. It was so refreshing. I danced, I sang, I hugged. It was the most wonderful 10 minutes, because they were all waiting for me on the bus. It was wonderful, and I would never change it for a thing. They were freer in that prison than some people I know that are in the church. It was Marvelous. Actually, I had a woman that called me this past week, and she's been out of prison now for about a year. She said, Lisa, I, I liked it better in prison. Ain't that awful? Life is hard for some people. So anyway, I, I uh, got home, and my hip was flared up, and I went to the doctors. And they said, Lisa, you need complete hip replacement. <gasps> okay. So what had happened was... When, when you're dealing with chronic pain, it causes depression. Even So here we are all over again, you guys. I'm like, oh, I'm not taking the medication this time. In two weeks, I will get a new hip. And um, someone said to me, well, Lisa, you know, you'll be a new woman. I don't want to be a new woman. I just want to be Lisa, you know? So um, I'm dealing with it as we speak, the pain, but I, won't, I don't need to take the medications now, but I'll tell you what I do need. What I do need is to um, continue on doing what I know to do, reading his word, praying, praising, and most of all, gathering together with his people. And you think, well, why is that so important, Lisa? It is. It is. And um, I had written this down here. Listen, I hope we get to the day when they say, you know, if anybody needs prayer, there's people here that will pray for you. Anybody that's in a low place or discouraged or going through something, don't be ashamed. Come up and get some prayer. You know, there's an African village when people really mess it up or they are, you know, just in this slump. And in this one particular Af African village, they'll all put that person in the middle of the village, and the village will surround it, and they'll start speaking into their lives. You're good. Remember when you drew water for so-and-so? You're good. And they'll start speaking into their lives and building that pe person up so that they come back to themselves. We need to do that as the body of Christ. We need to have that whole thing happening here where we surround each other and you're not embarrassed about it and you know somebody's praying for you. So 
there's always someone here. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you anytime you want. But um, we just need to acknowledge it. It's there. And um, I want to, before I leave, and I know, what time is it, Lucas? Can I get five more minutes? Five more minutes. I want to give thanks right now verbally to some people. I wrote some things down. Jim and Deborah, where are you? There's Deborah, Jim. Okay. Um, Jim, thank you for that word. He taught on the book of John last week, and he merely read, Jesus wept. And I was quickly comforted because the Lord said, yes, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus understands rejection. He understands low slumps. He understands he went alone by himself, got some prayer with fellowship with people. Jesus is a good example. Thank you for that, Jim. Deborah. And this is for anybody else that may have prodigals in your life. Those that have wandered from what, what they were brought up in. At my worst point at Fayetteville, one of the most down times I had, John was off in the field all the time. I had three little boys, no family around me, but I had three really good spirit-filled girlfriends. And we would go to each other's house and drink coffee and pray. Our boys all and kids all played together. It, that's what kept me sane. But I was feeling like, and God just basically said, just pray for the house next door. It was empty. So I started praying for neighbors. I'm thinking, I'm going to give me some good neighbors. And Barbie and Ken from hell moved in. <laughs> Honestly, they were perfect looking. And then they just lived. I said, Lord, I was praying. And he said, uh-huh. So I had these neighbors. And the thing is, Tim was really, really good with my boys. And he had a swimming pool, and he let them swim. And I'm thinking, okay, he's safe territory. But Tim had a lot of problems. Drinking was one, and he would get violent, mean, ugly. He wasn't a nice drunk. And um, my girlfriends, I was white American. My girlfriend, Sharon, was African American. My girlfriend, Linda, was um, a, a Puerto Rican from Chicago. So one day, I'm out walking with Sharon, my girlfriend, and Tim comes, and he's got a bottle in his hand, and I know he's plastered. And he I'm thinking, let's just get out of here. And he comes up, and he starts making some of the worst racial slurs right in front of my friend. If a hole could have opened up and I could have slipped into it, I would have. And I just said, Tim, you're drunk. I'm not going to. I went home. I said, God, I'm so angry at that man. Oh, and I just got it. And he said, just keep praying. Well, pretty soon, Tim's wife left him. And I noticed she was gone, and I said, Tim, is everything? And he said, well, she had an affair with someone, and she got pregnant, and she's with him now. And I said, Tim, I am so sorry. So, and really, the mother in me really did feel so. So I started praying for him some more, thinking, man, he's going through it. Long story short, um, I'm still sometimes gritting my teeth over Tim. And the Lord says, invite him to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm like, oh. Really? He said, yeah. And I said, okay. And, and I did. I said, Tim, you want to come for Thanksgiving dinner? And he lit up. Yeah, yeah. And so Tim came for Thanksgiving dinner. And we're all sitting there. The, he's making the kids laugh. We had a good meal. He, him and John watched something on the TV afterwards. And he was getting ready to leave. And he's a tall fella. And he bent down to hug me. And he said, Miss Lisa, 
He said, I have to tell you something. I said, what's that, Tim? And he said, you have the same books as my mama. And he went out the door. And I realized all my books were Strong's Concordance, Bibles, uh, biblical literary stuff. I thought, Tim was raised in a Christian home. Oh, my. Well, tell, talk about really praying then. I really started praying for Tim. And within a couple months, he called one day, and he said, Lisa, my mom said I had to call you. I said, what's up, Tim? He said, last night at 2 in the morning, I called my dad and my mom up in Massachusetts. They're ministers in Massachusetts. And I called my mom and dad up, and I said, I can't live like this anymore. Would you please help me get straight? And they led him back to the Lord. And Tim became who he was supposed to be. And, and he started going to church with me and he met a girl after a couple years and ended up marrying her. They're living in Massachusetts now, helping his daddy and mommy in the ministry. He's got two children, a boy and a girl, and it turned out wonderful. I say that to say to Deborah and all of you others, that we as a church, like Tim's mother, we're praying for you and for, for Jim. We know that God's going to do something. But guess what? There's people like me that are on strategic assignment for your children that God's going to use people like this. Even when you're feeling awful, God will still use you to help change a life to get it back on track. I wanted to exhort you on that. Um, let me read this here. And if I, if, am I going too long? Okay. Okay. Chris, Kyle, and Tim. Use your everyday walking about what you consider boring lives and use it for a platform to dive into the depths of creativity. You're in Brunswick County and it gets overwhelming and you go every day and you do your cabinets or you do your landscaping and you do what you have to do. But you don't know what you're doing when you come together on a Sunday morning and sing those songs, the old and the new, and mix them together. Honestly, you guys. Honestly, it makes a difference. You're making a difference. I just say, if you're bored, if you're discontent, then use it like these artists did. Use it as a platform to write words, write songs, encourage people, whatever it is. But what you're doing is worth it. And I want to thank you. Carla one day says to me, because we can do this, we can get into a habit. She comes over to me after church one day and she said, Lisa, are you all right? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. And she said, Lisa, are you all right? And I said, Carla, I came in hanging by a thread, a thread. I said, but I went into praise and they did that old song. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, today is enough, Lisa. I'm here for you today. I'm faithful today. And it popped whatever was trying to settle on me. So, guys, I wanted to compliment you. All the others, too. You know, my, my, um, VB, my little VBS children's teacher that I talked about in the Methodist church, her name was Mrs. Phillips. She's about five foot, flaming red hair, and wore 80s clothes in the 60s. 
She was ahead of her time. Mrs. Phillips loved Jesus. I remember thinking, she loves Jesus. He must be a really good friend of hers. Mrs. Phillips was crucial in helping me because I said, Lord, I want to be like Mrs. Phillips. When I came to this, if I'm going to love you, let me love you like Mrs. Phillips. Let me have you as a best friend like Mrs. Phillips. And he did. But you know what? I take it serious. And all you workers in VBS and in the children's ministry, we only get them for 45 minutes, what, once a month or every six weeks? But you might be one of those children's Mrs. Phillips. And I take it serious when I go in there and I do my lesson plan. And I, can, and I hope that whatever I am, my love for God, my love for his people, my love for this earth goes off onto those little children because some of them might not have another chance until they're an adult. So I want to thank you all that do that. Um, I can't mention times Kathy's text me. Eddie, I have a new understanding of chronic pain. You and your wife, all of you, there's so many. Brandon and Mary and Justin. And I can say things to you younger ones about stuff I've done or thought or did. And you still, you don't think I'm crazy. You think I'm nice. You don't judge me. And you just don't know how much that encouraged me. Kathy. I'm telling you what, I walked in here during the winter. I was so down and I, it, it, winter grays, blacks, browns. And there's Kathy in this flaming yellow jacket. Whoa. It was like, yes, color. And I was coveting her jacket. I'm like, that's really nice. And whenever she wore it, it made me feel good. Then she had a Bible. Sorry, Kathy. She has this Bible and it's all beat up and it's got these pink and green and red and blue little stickum colored things in there. And it's dog eared and beat up. Oh man, that's good. So Kathy, you just don't even realize you just sitting there quietly wearing that yellow jacket, what it did for me. All of you, I love you dearly. Kim and Trent, you've seen me all my life. You've seen my struggles. I had all of these notes, but I can't share them because there's not enough time. I want to thank my son and my daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law is a modern-day Ruth. She left her family, and she went into a foreign country, and she has given everything to my son and to her children. And she's my daughter-in-law, and I love her dearly. And I said that, Lord, she's a modern-day Ruth. And he said, yes, and I'm going to tell her this. He said, don't forget to tell her this, Lisa. Wherever she goes, I'm going to leave handfuls on purpose. Wherever she goes, I'm going to leave handfuls on purpose. Lucas, Lucas used me, or excuse me, Lucas was used to help me a couple weeks ago because... Um, I was getting things straight in my mind and I don't trust my feelings when I'm sort of weak like now. And I'm thinking, Lord, is this what you really want me to do? And I had settled it in myself that it was. And then Lucas calls and gives me an analogy about baseball and basketball of all different things. But it clicked. I was like that man in the uh, gravestone running around, acting wild and crazy. And finally, he came to himself, and he was clothed and in his right mind. Do you remember that? And he said, Jesus, let me just follow you. And Jesus says, no, I, don't want, I want you to go home. I want you to go home to your family and to your friends. 
and I want you to tell them what Jesus has done for you. So thank you, Lucas. I'm back in Brunswick County. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let it go. I just would like to pray one prayer, and then I'm going to turn it over to Lucas. If you'll all just bow your head with me. Thank you for listening to me. Lord, raise up servants who are willing to bear one another's burdens. Surround us with others who will make our burdens lighter and help us to be a part of surrounding others and helping to relieve their burdens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the sea.